Hello, this is Dylan Pappenfuss, and welcome to the Financial Executive Podcast. The discussion on the role of business and society has evolved over the years. Similarly, investors are searching for more holistic measures of value than what sits on a company's bottom line. These factors, combined with increased concerns stemming from corporate scandals, climate change, and social justice movements, have increased the demand for environmental, social, and governance reporting, or ESG. To this end, FBI Daily sat down with two experts in ESG reporting, Jeffrey Hales, Chair of the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, or SASB, and Charles Z. Zlatkovich, Centennial Professor of Accounting at the University of Texas at Austin, and Greg Anderson, a Managing Director at Crow and a member of the AICPA's Sustainability Task Force. So first question. Can you provide a brief background on ESG reporting and the underlying theories supporting its adoption? Sure. Um, so the way I think about ESG reporting is that um, it's it's a type of reporting that um, has evolved a lot over the last 20 or 30 years. And it's something that really kind of grew out of, um, I think, a an interest in understanding companies beyond their existing assets and liabilities. Um, and and so what, where that really started to show up was through these corporate social responsibility reports. And so in these CSR type reports, companies would talk about a lot of the things that they would do, and it could be with respect to the environment or with respect to their employees or philanthropic endeavors. Um, but it quickly became over, you know, uh, about a decade period, I guess, it, it, it became something where every major company around the world seemed to be talking about things beyond just existing financial statements and relating to the environment or, or social issues, human capital issues. So I think that their companies were hearing from their stakeholders, a broad set of stakeholders, that that there was a lot going on that the company was engaged in, and they wanted to understand what those activities were, what some of those impacts were. But the other thing that I think was a big trend uh, at that same time, but that lagged it a bit, was real interest from the capital markets. And there, it was really an evolution in investors, mainstream investors, starting to realize that a lot of the things that a broader set of stakeholders, customers, employees, um, community members, governments, were interested in knowing about, a lot of those same things were things that actually mattered to to you know the company in in terms of you know potentially being at the level of something that a mainstream capital investor would want to know more about and thinking about the long-term prospects of the company so i really think about esg reporting as being something that evolved out of trying to communicate and manage relationships with all of the company's stakeholders and then a realization from the capital markets community, from the investor community, that some of those things, the big things, are things that 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 they want to know about and needed to know more about. 
Yeah, and I might just go add. Um, at, at the same time, we've we also have seen the uh, emergence of uh, interest from investors to really look at the long term, the influence of the uh, pension funds, retirement savings, and and kind of the the longer term focus on investments fits well with ESG and looking at these. Um, I, I really consider them more of long-term metrics and performance metrics in the way companies are valued. And uh, so we see those things coming together. I like that. And I think it goes really well with the next question that we have. Um, you know, how can ESG reporting give financial executives a more holistic um, or long-term view into their organization? Yeah, I might just add, um, as I think of that, and a lot of what um, I do in our practice is look at these trends as part of an overall risk management strategy for the company. And and so it's not just the reporting, but probably more on how the management of the company looks at these issues, incorporates those into strategy, uh, looks at the overall context of not only how will these external events impact the company, but how can the company itself influence and make impact on these issues uh, in in the broader environment. What's interesting is I think about the sustainability reporting, corporate responsibility reporting, ESG has kind of emerged as a a term that uh, can kind of describe these things uh, more broader. And if we even think broader than that, we can think of all the non-financial reporting that a a company may do. And, uh, you know, I recently had a colleague that said, you know, these risks are really, um, you might call them non-financial, but in some cases we call these pre-financial. They're uh, pre-financial impact. So there are things that are tied to broader trends related to the environment, to the society, and how the overall uh, company is governed. Yeah, I might just say, like, in terms of terms, you know, I think one of the reasons why we call this ESG is that you know, we're not trying to measure these things in terms of dollars and cents precisely. I mean, I think there's a lot of analysis around the activities, trying to figure out what the impacts are, how that should affect the company's valuation, but. You know, if you're looking at R&D spend, well, that's something that you have a dollar amount associated with, and analysts and investors will think about how to value that. But but it's easily measurable in the, as an activity in dollars. But a lot of the other things aren't necessarily easily measurable in terms of dollars as an activity metric. <clears throat> and so, so you know, so they, they don't necessarily fall into our, our normal set of financials. Um, and I think that's important when, you know, in thinking about then how ESG reporting can lead to a more holistic view of organizations, you know, for, for executives. Uh, you know, I, I think, first of all, n- nobody knows the company better than the people inside the company. Like, they're the ones that understand business, the business that they're in. But, you know, when I think about the value of ESG reporting, it's a couple of things that I think about. I mean, really, it's, it's two things, awareness and also breathing room. So on the awareness side, it's quite possible that the, the people are working in organizations where they understand some business risks, but they haven't been trained to understand necessarily all the things that could affect their business. And so, so there might be some improvement in understanding around 
fundamental business issues that could come from an improved reporting on ESG issues, understanding more of what the potential is. For example, you know, uh, with like a circular economy, you know, thinking about the life cycle of products and, and what the possibilities might be. So there might be some awareness there. Although I think, again, people inside the business tend to know the business the best. But I think the other thing that, that can really help uh, the you know, managers of companies is that by doing ESG reporting, it also provides, I think, some breathing room, especially for public companies that are facing a lot of quarterly earnings pressure by starting to report out on, on the longer term environmental, social and governance issues that they face. And by attracting longer term investors, large institutional owners that are interested in these sorts of things, that actually can be kind of like a counterbalance to the pressure to meet, you know, your quarterly earnings um, targets. So I think in both of those ways, it, it can help managers to, to not only expand to have a more holistic view, but also to, to, to then communicate that view out. That's great, thank you. Um, moving into our next question, how do you think increased ESG reporting will impact personnel needs within the finance function? It's a good question. Uh, it's something that we we hear a lot about at, at, at SASB and the, and the engagement I've done with companies. And the way I would think about it is, companies are definitely on a journey when it comes to reporting on these issues. So, you know, it's, it's not like companies have no current uh, personnel related to ESG issues. They do. They absolutely do. For some companies, it's health and safety. You know, others, it's compliance issues. It, it, you know, it might be that they've got folks in marketing or public relations that have been doing something in this kind of space. But what we're seeing at SASB more and more is that companies are moving to, when trying to communicate to investors, mainstream investors about these issues, as they're starting to focus on things that have you know, more of a the lens of financial materiality to them, they're starting to realize that there has to be a connection within the organization. So they have to be connected to investor relations. They have to be connected to uh, to the management team. They have to be connected to you know the board of directors. And so that's kind of the, how we're seeing this um, move. That that oftentimes people that have been trained in in one area, not necessarily thinking about business strategy and talking the language of, of finance, uh, that they're being asked to engage now with the strategic planning for the company to, to you know, potentially present in front of the board of directors to talk about some of these issues. And they're, they're actually taking on more of a, a finance perspective to the work that they've always been doing. And, and I think the flip side is that the finance function, the board of directors, the C-suite, uh, you know, we're seeing these folks start to understand some of the language that's used beyond just the, the traditional um, business training that they might have been used to and starting to see that that some of the things like concern about employee turnover or, or the health and safety of the employees are human capital issues and that brand management can relate to social capital and that uh, that 
that there are potentially like physical risks to long-term assets because of you know maybe changes in the environment in which that the, you know, the company is operating in. So, so I see it less as uh, needing to hire, say, climate scientists to to work within a finance team, and more about seeing more of an integration and less siloing of the personnel that a lot of companies already have in place. Yeah, I would just add, um, I would, I'm in full agreement. I, I think really I could flip this question around the other way and say, you know, how is the finance function going to enhance ESG reporting? And I think the, the finance executives, you know, their, their discipline for, um, and looking at materiality and, and looking at clean, uh, controls around reporting, uh, looking at, uh, synchronizing the timing of financial performance reporting with ESG reporting is going to help drive uh, a better understanding of the relationship between performance and ESG. Um, and, and really the finance being able to bring that, um, you know, let's let's make sure the numbers prove it out um, and, and make decisions based upon uh, information and data as we look at ESG and the overall performance of the company. So I think, yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think we're uh, going to really see some nice convergence. Uh, I agree that there's a lot that, that the finance function can do to improve the the quality uh, and the timeliness of of the information that's uh, in some cases already being produced or, or tracked within a company. You know, kind of moving it from Excel spreadsheets to systems that have better controls, uh, and you know, speeding up the timing with which that information is available, so that it it can potentially influence um, you know investors when they're at the time that they're making decisions about the finances of the company, the financial future of the company, they should ideally also have information about what's going on from a, a sustainability perspective as well. That's great. Thank you. Um, the next question, um, this actually brings up a great question from our audience um, that we put out. Um, they, were, they were wondering where a lot of financial met- metrics are pretty easy quantifiable or they're relatively easily quantified. Um, some elements of ESG reporting are a little bit more qualitative in nature. Um, how do you think this will impact, you know, the auditing side of it as well? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, if you look at, at the, at the reporting that's going on right now, I'd say like the like the vast majority of what's being reported is not really being assured at a high level. Um, there's probably the best understanding around uh, emissions because uh, that's something that has been pretty well defined for for a long time. And so there, you know you can get a, a third party to go in and check those those measurements um, in the process that's used to estimate that stuff. Um, you know I think that the the question about auditing is partly dependent on on the existence of of like an accepted or or or, or a, a clear framework and set of standards that have what we think of as suitable criteria for assurance in the first place. And so, uh, Greg's I'm sure very familiar with this, but but at SASB we've been trying to develop not just a framework for thinking about ESG issues, but also specific standards and metrics uh, and and protocol that underlie those, so that so that a company that tries to apply our standards 
could then have, you know, to the extent that they thought that they wanted to employ that level of assurance, could have a, a third party or even just in their internal audit function and themselves, uh, they could verify that the reporting that they're doing is consistent with with the standards as they've been as they've been specified and and so we've been working with uh, here in the US with the AICPA uh, to to think about and to get feedback on the extent to which you know our standards have or can have the suitable criteria that would be helpful for for an auditor say to come in and, and provide some additional assurance yeah, absolutely. I participate on a um, um, a task force with the AICPA where we're working with SASB really on on, on this very issue, and um, it, it take it's going to take some uh, um, work to you know get experience where we're seeing a, a an uptick in the number of clients, and it's really a market driven um, situation now where companies are looking for. Um, assurance around this information as they incorporate this into their decision making. And so the AICPA and, and working with SASB is really looking at how do we make sure that um, when we're looking at some of this stuff, it's suitable for um, auditing. And, and I can say there, there are some challenges there. But I think it's something that um, needs to be worked through and, and is, is being worked through. That's great. Thank you. Um, now, from your perspective um, and kind of shifting gears here, what are some of the hurdles, um, you know, standing way of broad adoption for ESG reporting? Mm-hmm. You know, I, from my perspective, um, you know, I, I think of a few things, uh, probably first would be just understanding and awareness. Second would be the systems changes that would be required. Um, and then, and then I think in general kind of costs or, or clarity, um, around like a path forward. So in order for there to be broad adoption of, of ESG reporting, I think there has to be an understanding for, from companies' perspectives that, that this is relevant to their business and that investors care about it. And, you know, I think if it was relevant to the business, they would be managing it, but they might not, you know, communicate out on it as much if they didn't think that there was interest from the marketplace on it. And even hearing that there's interest from the market isn't always enough from what I've seen to have companies say like, okay, let's, let's talk about that. They still want to sort of see the connection to their own business. So, so part of it, I think is understanding and awareness and, and we can probably talk about this too, but I think, you know, there's what's often referred to as the alphabet soup. And so that can kind of, um, you know, the, a lack of awareness can kind of cause uh, decision paralysis and prevent, I think, managers from trying to really move forward on something. But even when they say, yeah, we get it, this, you know, we're hearing from our investors, they want us to talk about this. Um, uh, we want to report on it. It, it is a matter of cost. It takes systems changes uh, to report the information in a way that companies are comfortable with that you know, will take time and investment. Uh, and, and not just that, but also training. You know, that large organizations, you, know, you have to involve a lot of personnel. And, and so kind of bringing along folks who haven't necessarily been trained in, you know, in exactly this way have to learn some new things and, and new ways of doing 
um, you know, work related to the job that they've always done. So that's part of the, the challenge. And then, you know, I, I do think that the idea around clarity of which, which path to take forward is, uh, isn't an issue. And it's, it, to me, it's not that, it's not that just that there are several options that is the problem. I think sometimes it's just you know, making that first step and identifying clearly what it is a company wants to do in moving forward with ESG. It's sort of clarity of company purpose, um, more so, I think, than clarity on the paths. I think those two are related, but, but, but you, know, you need clarity of purpose first. Yeah, as I think of this question, um, it, it really, yeah, it, it comes down to to the, the very point is, okay, what, what are we trying to achieve here, which really requires the senior level executives to really be able to articulate, here, here's our here's our purpose, here's what we're doing, here's how we're going to make decisions. A lot of these ESG issues are longer term issues, so they're not, it's not necessarily urgent, we need to do this right away stuff, but it's very, very important as it relates to what we're trying to achieve in the longer term. So the skills and change management, um, understanding relationships with third parties, um, supply chains, those are all things I think the uh, senior level financial executives are going to need to um, have skills in, as well as being able to um, understand uh, data intelligence and, and how to interpret uh, data trends over time. I think those are all things that um, ESG is going to uh, influence uh, where the financial executives will need to uh, play a role within their companies. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, now, some members, I, I really like what you said um, about clarity of purpose, not clarity of paths. Um, a lot of members express confusion on really where to begin with ESG reporting. Um, so can you expand a little bit more on uh, on that and uh, give some advice for these people? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I would think of it a little bit. First, I would say that there absolutely is an act, you know, an alphabet soup that's out there. And when, in the ESG world, you can think about SASB, GRI, CDP, TCFD, um, you know, just, just to name a few. But, but if, if you were to apply that same sort of lens of, uh, of thinking to, uh, to financial reporting, more traditional financial reporting, you know, we've got you know, the SEC, the FASB, the IASB, you've got the AICPA, you know, IFRS for SMEs, you've got GASB standards, and you've got uh, ACBOA, other comprehensive basis of accounting. So there's all sorts of acronyms out there right now, but don't necessarily create a problem for people that understand what it is that they're doing. They're a public company, they're operating in the U.S. And so here's the standards that apply to them. So they've got that clarity of understanding around what they're trying to do, and they know where to go to to get the guidance for that. So I think, in you know, the the problem here is that that for ESG reporting, it's it's an emerging area, and so so part of it is just understanding what the landscape is. Um, that those are the paths forward. But what's really important is understanding what the company is trying to do. Who is the company trying to communicate with and what are they trying to communicate about? That's the clarity of purpose. So if management sits down and says, you know what, we want to communicate to 
our investors, our mainstream investors, and we want to communicate with them specifically on climate or or broadly on climate, human capital, or ESG type issues, then then that would be enough to say, okay, you don't need to look at the entire alphabet soup that's out there, but but there are, you know, there's guidance within the TCFD, which is a task force for climate-related financial disclosures, uh, and and SASB and CDSB are ways in which those guidelines can be implemented. So so figuring out the tools to help you solve a problem. That if you can if you can identify what you're trying to do, somebody can help you figure out the tool to get down that path quickly. But you got to figure out where you're going. And so I, the the analogy I think about all the time here is is turning on on the TV. And you know, for years now, there've been a lot of channels when you turn on a TV. Um, you know. Uh, but that's not really a problem. And it's, in some ways, it's even worse when you've got, you know, on-demand TV. So you can turn on the TV and you can literally, like, watch almost anything. Uh, and so you can face a bit of decision paralysis there. But if you know what it is that you're trying to find, right, you want to watch something on, you know, general news or financial news or sports news, then you can get a TV guide to kind of point you in the right direction. And there are, by analogy, a number of guides that help point companies in the right direction. But what what those guides are not going to do is tell them what they need to be watching or what they should be reporting on, in a sense. Yeah, I fully agree. So whether it's ESG or, or just ERM or enterprise risk management, one of the biggest challenges I typically see with a, with a, a senior management team or a team of uh, company executives that uh, are are tops in their area of expertise, the finance folks, the HR folks, the supply chain folks, the IT folks, they're, they're all at the top of their game in their particular area of expertise, but it's then getting the language in place that they can then communicate uh, about risks or about ESG in a common language that they all can be talking about the same thing. And, and, and not only what do the words mean, but when we think of the, you know, to Jeff's point, to who, who, who is the, the people that are influenced? Is this material to my investors? Is it material to my employees? Is it material to my customers? We need to frame the, con- the, the language in the context of what are we really talking about? What are we trying to achieve? And there's such a broad range of whether it's risks or ESG topics, how do we focus on the ones that are really pertinent to us achieving what we're trying to get to get to. Yeah, I think that's great. And in terms of practical advice that I would offer to the the listeners, I would say, you know, what industry you're operating in. So one easy step forward, just to to kind of expand your understanding here is go look up your industry. So, you know, SASB produces 77 industry specific standards. There's going to be a PDF. It's freely available. Uh, You can just go down Download the PDF for your industry. See what we talk about in terms of environmental, social, and government issues for your industry. We try to put everything through a lens of what is most likely to be of interest to investors in terms of financial impact. And uh, and so, 
so we then have a number of topics. There's usually five to seven topics per industry. Um, and, and then there'll be a set of, of KPIs to support some performance reporting on those topics. But, but take a look at that standard. The standard, you know, is, it's going to be a single table with some, you know, additional pages to kind of provide some explanation. But take a look at that, you know, bring it back to your business. Think about how it connects to your operations and, and then also have a, a conversation with, with your, your investors or in, in you know, in, in your IR team and think about you know, what is it that you're hearing? What, where is their alignment between what you see as your major activities within your company, the major risks and opportunities that you face and, and in the space of environmental social issues, human capital issues, where's the overlap there? And, you know, is, is there alignment with the SASB metrics? If so, you can start to check your internally your performance to what extent is there alignment with what you're already maybe tracking internally. And, uh, and then, you know, you can think about what steps forward would be appropriate after that, but that's a, a great starting point. I would say. So do you think the prescriptive ESG measures belong in the financial statements? And then a second part to that question, how do you then ensure comparability without being overly burdensome for preparers? So it's a great question. My, my background is actually as an accounting professor. That's what my, my main job is at the university of Texas. Um, And the work that I do at SASB is, is on a volunteer basis with SASB. So, um, but I, but I am constantly thinking about financial reporting through that traditional lens. So thinking about ESG measures showing up in financial statements, one thing I would say is that in some ways they already do. And that's when they are at the point where they meet the existing definition of an asset or liability. So, you know, when you're thinking about, um, you know, an asset retirement obligation or, or a contingent contingency around uh, environmental cleanup, that there are already processes in place where that could potentially meet the definition of an existing asset or a liability and so would have to be recorded in the financial statements under existing U.S. GAAP or, or international accounting rules. So there's that. Now, if... If those, you know, if there's, if there are activities that that sit beyond the current boundaries of assets and liabilities, and have more to do with risks and opportunities, you know, and uncertainties around that, then, you know, my perspective is that I don't think we need to try to push that information into the totals of the financial statements. Uh, you know, I think the financial statements are trying to to do exactly what they're trying to do, existing assets and liabilities and changes in that. But that said, financial statements are only part of the broader landscape of corporate reporting that I think is really crucial to, to investor decision-making. And so, you know, we kind of accept that public companies have, you know, a lot of additional disclosure that is required beyond just saying, here's our financials. And so they, they provide you know, discussion and analysis around that, uh, a lot of additional disclosure uh, around significant events and material issues that pop up. Uh, and, and, and they provide a lot of voluntary disclosure on like a non-GAAP basis. And so, so I think in that space, there's 
a lot of opportunity to better communicate around the real activities of a company and 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 the long-term sustainability of it in a way that matters to investors and and without necessarily having to try to put a dollar value on those things and 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 put it into the financial statements as if it's an existing asset or liability um, so so uh, that, that's that's my view I think I would just draw that distinction between what I think of as recognition within the financials versus uh, disclosure as part of a broader set of corporate reporting that goes on to the to the capital markets yeah I would just say my observation is um, all, all the things that uh, the professor here just uh, shared, um, and I also can probably speak to my colleagues in the the accounting firms. There, there isn't really a lot of appetite to say let's increase the complexity of. Uh, the financial statement, but recognize that there is a need to make sure that information is provided to the appropriate stakeholders uh, when it's material to them. Yeah, you know, one way to think about this too is that there have been there's been talk around things like the triple bottom line or something like that, where we're trying to to put a value on um, you know, the related activities uh, that go on in a company, and I think it's incumbent upon investors to think about the valuation implications of the information that they're getting. But there's a difference between reporting on that and then the analysis of it. And and I think, you know, largely where I see SASB's role is in facilitating disclosure around activities um, that are of interest to investors without SASB doing the analysis of it and saying, so here's the value that comes from it. Um, you know, any, any more than, and I think that, you know, I think the job of, of US GAAP is to, to provide measures of the financial performance that's ongoing in the company, not necessarily to do the valuation of that. You know, that is to the analysts and to the portfolio managers that are out there to take companies' financials and translate that into, you know, a, a model for corporate valuation. And this is, you know, just reporting out on related activities that have implications, but leaving the analysis part to to the capital markets place participants to to do themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if either of you have any concluding thoughts on ESG. Yeah, I would just say this is a pretty exciting time uh, as the standards come together, uh, especially as in, in today's environment of um, uh, a need for trust and transparency. Um, I, I think uh, ESG offers an opportunity for um, uh, companies to, to provide uh, information using standards that continue to uh, mature. Yeah, I guess I, I would second that, and I would leave the listeners with uh, uh, the thought that that this is a fast evolving area, and I, 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 it's hard to express just how dramatically views have changed, in, in my opinion, in the marketplace. You know, with mainstream investors in the last five to six years. Uh, there's been a huge shift there in terms of what, what we're hearing 
you know, in terms of interest from, from the capital markets. Uh, and so, you know, just a bit behind that is a huge shift in what we're hearing in terms of uh, interest from companies. And in particular, the now it's like the legal function, the finance function within companies, the executives, the boards within companies. And so, so things are changing and changing kind of quickly. And I would encourage companies to, to not be kind of caught off guard by a shareholder proposal or by peer companies that suddenly are outpacing them in terms of the quality with which they are managing and taking advantage of these risks and opportunities, as well as you know, their ability to, to report out and communicate on them. So, uh, really take take time to, to just first just understand what these issues are because I think there's a tremendous opportunity out there for, for companies to distinguish themselves. Excellent. Thank you very much.